Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Santo uh, in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, June the 15th. And welcome to our commentary. We're going to talk about a couple of things today, but before we get there, this is uh, a story that I just saw a minute ago, and that is that Rasmussen reports, you probably know who they are. They're one of the polling agencies. Um, you know, they do the daily tracking poll and a bunch of other polls. They have been fairly reliable over the years. I would say polling agencies, they are among the best. None of them are perfect, of course, but they're pretty good. I mean, they've been pretty reliable. And they just came out with a brand new poll regarding the President Trump's indictment and a public reaction to it. And it's a very interesting result. It says that 57% of the people that they talk to say that uh, this is bad for the country. Now, remember that Rasmussen reports only uses likely voters for their database. You know, they, they, they are more specific on who they talk to. It's only likely voters. And that's one of the reasons why they've been more reliable, because they're only talking to people who vote. And I think this is an amazing number, 57%. Uh, and when you get to numbers like 57%, that means that there's some independents who are jumping into that 57%. So I think it's a great story. The fact that, uh, you know, a pretty healthy number of Americans think that this Trump indictment is bad for the country. I agree with that. I said at the very beginning that uh, the indictment itself was bad, a very bad idea. It it would simply politicize everything as, as it obviously has. Again, it doesn't mean that we're happy with everything that Trump did. It doesn't mean that I'm happy with what Biden did. But I think indictments are way out of line here. And I hope that uh, through the legal process, uh, President Trump can make that point uh, as we're going forward. So anyway, that's just a fascinating story. It just came across my desk in the last uh, 30 minutes or so. Well, you know that uh, the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, has been suspended for a while until the trial at the end of August. But that doesn't mean we don't have an attorney general. We have an acting attorney general. And that acting attorney general, I believe his last name is Scott, has filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration over Title IX. Title IX uh, was a piece of legislation that was signed uh, back in the days of President Nixon, 1972. And the consequence of Title IX has been to expand uh, sports for young women. More and more colleges and universities today have, uh, you know, events or teams or activities for young women because of Title IX. Uh, Title IX. And I think most people see Title IX as a good thing because it made it easier for young women to compete at, uh, at more, competitive, more competitive levels. So a couple of years ago, the Biden administration expanded Title IX to include transgender students or students who identify, let's say a man who identifies as a woman. Texas did not like that. Texas uh, passed a law saying that you have to play in the, in the team of your, of your gender of birth, meaning if you're born a boy, you have to play as a boy. If you're born a girl, you have to play as a girl. I happen to agree 
with that idea. I think boys competing with girls is an absolutely insane idea at a competitive level. I'm not talking about T-ball, but a competitive competitive level. So the Biden administration is getting sued by Texas over this. Now, the Biden administration is threatening to cut back federal funding for education if Texas doesn't play. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out because, you know, most of the funding for for education is at the state level anyway. So, I mean, obviously, we get a lot of money for from the federal government, but uh, maybe this is the opening for school choice. Maybe this is the opening for, for school choice because they take back the money and now the, the parents can say, well, you know, maybe we can, you know, we can take our, you know, go in the direction of school choice. I don't know if the two are connected, but I'm glad to see that Texas is fighting this because I think the idea of a young man who identifies as a young woman competing in girls sports, it's just a very bad idea. And it certainly does not help young women who work hard to get a trophy or scholarship to lose that trophy or scholarship to a young man competing uh, as a woman. So congratulations to Texas. Congratulations to, to the attorney general for, uh, for uh, suing the Biden, Biden administration. You know, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk in the country today about 2024 and the possibility that there could be a third party. Now, third parties uh, in recent American history have not been successful. Now, a candidate is different. For example, in 1968, you had George Wallace, who ran. Actually, he did have a party, but it, it didn't stand, stay around for a long time. He eventually went back uh, to being a Democrat. But George Wallace ran in 1968, got 14% of the vote, but he did win four states, four or five states four or five southern states, and many people believe that it was George Wallace's uh, participation in that election that elected uh, Richard Nixon that year in 1968. Then, of course, we all remember Ross Perot in 1992. He did form a party, come to think of it, but uh, he, uh, he, he got 19% of the vote. He didn't win any states, but he clearly, I think by most accounts, probably made uh, Bill Clinton president by you know by the by the number of states that Bill Clinton uh, was able to win, and again in 2000, in two thousand in two thousand when Ralph Nader ran as a third party candidate and probably probably uh, cost uh, Al Gore the election because j- just in Florida alone the ninety thousand votes or so that uh, went to Ralph Nader in Florida if they had gone to uh, to Al Gore he would have won that election but so. A lot of people are talking about the possibility of a third-party candidate in 24. I think that could happen, actually. I think that could happen. Now, it may not be a third party. It may not be a very big third party, I should say. But I think you could have a, you know, a situation. There's a lot of talk about there. about some. There's a, a group called No Labels, which I guess it's a sort of independent movement. And, yeah, they could put up a candidate. I mean, if you have a third-party candidate get anywhere from 10 to 20% of the vote, that could be a big difference because they're going to take votes from one or the other. And I think given some of the names that or some of the complaints that we're hearing about the Biden administration, my guess is that uh, if there is a third party, it would be more costly uh, to the Democrats. We'll keep an eye on it, but uh, it's tough. It's really, really tough for, uh, for third parties to succeed, but they can be effective and they can be consequential in one election. And that's what I think, uh, particularly the Democrats, 
are starting to worry about that because you're seeing, you know, uh, the professor from Harvard, I can't think of his name right now, who's thinking about running. Now he's not gonna, not gonna get a lot of votes, but he can get two or three percentage points in a close election. Uh, that could be a big difference in a state like California, for example, where I think he would do quite well. Then there's always Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, he could be running as a Democrat, you never know. We hear talk of Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, running uh, as a Democrat as part of that no labels uh, ticket. Those are three that uh, come to mind. There may be others uh, who may do the same thing. But I don't know um, who it's going to be, but I think there's so much disenchantment with both parties right now that I think a third party could very well emerge in 2024. I don't think they would win the presidency, but they would be a factor, I believe, in denying one party or another uh, victory. We'll have to keep an eye on on that particular one. Speaking of presidential politics, we have a new candidate. We have a new candidate out of Miami. Uh, the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, has decided to run for president. Now, I, I have to say, I don't know much about him, but I'm going to see what I can find out about him. But he's a very attractive candidate, very telegenic uh, candidate, as far as I can tell, very popular governor, I mean, very popular mayor of Miami. Where would a guy like that fit in? I don't know. Where would a guy like that fit in? I mean, what? Uh, who is he going to attract? Now, some people are saying that he could be a vice president. Well, he could. Yeah, that would that would be good. Actually, you know, the idea of having a mayor on the ticket on these days, given all the problems that some of the cities are having, may not be uh, politically a bad idea. But who would you pair him up with? That's the key, I think. Uh, Trump, Suarez, but they're both from Florida. So one of them would have to move out. DeSantis, Suarez, well... Again, they're both from Florida. One of them would have to move out because you can have you cannot have two people uh, from the same state. Uh, Tim Scott and Suarez. Well, that that would be that might be uh, a good fit. But a vice presidential possibility, maybe, maybe he has to get better known. But again, I think a mayor of a major city would be a very attractive uh, vice presidential candidate, especially at a time, as I say, when so many cities are having very difficult issues, particularly cities run by Democrats. Uh, Suarez, uh, as a Republican, runs a different kind of city in Miami. But I think the whole idea of having city issues uh, as part of a campaign, I think, would be very appealing. Well, Governor Abbott has decided to send uh, some migrants to Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, a couple of days ago, uh, announced that they were, they were doubling down on being a sanctuary city. So the governor of Texas said, okay, if, that, if you're doing that, we're going to send you more people. So some buses are, are going to L.A. I don't know how they're going to figure this out in California. They have a $32 billion deficit that they're going to have to figure out in the state of California. And if you're going to be bringing in people who at least initially are going to require a lot of state assistance, I don't know how it's going to work out when you've got a $32 billion deficit. So. Uh, I hope that uh, the residents of California know what they're what they're doing. Given some of their political decisions, you have to wonder. You have to wonder. Well, today we leave you with a musical note that was on this day in 1941 that Harry Nielsen was born. Harry, of course, of uh, Harry Nielsen became a very popular songwriter, uh, composer, uh, interpreter. I mean, just uh, had a lot of hits. 
back uh, in the late 60s, uh, early 70s. You probably remember him for songs like Everybody's Talking, uh, Without You, and and you remember that that movie that he made called Me and My Arrow. Remember that movie about uh, the little dog and the boy and the little dog. So he was born on this day in 1941. He was born in Brooklyn, one of my very favorite composers, uh, Harry Nielsen. Passed away at a very young age, 1994. Not exactly sure what he died of. I've heard heart complications, uh, but not not too familiar with that part of his life. But he was a great composer, and I love his music. Harry Nielsen, uh, born on this day in 1941, died very young. That's a shame. He died very, very young. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.